And good afternoon. Welcome, everybody. It's Thursday afternoon, so it's only just time for Deering Live with myself, Jamie, and young David Bandrowski on the other side of me. How are you doing, Dave? All right. I'm doing well. Very good. Very good. We'll jump in real quick because we've got a very, very special, very one of our favorite guests today. Um, but before we do that, just want to talk real quick. We are on DeeringBandrowski.com. We're running a Halloween sale. 30% off select items. Go ahead, go to DeeringBanjos.com. Uh, click the banner at the bottom as it comes up, and you'll be taken to an assortment of goodies to keep your spooky moods ready for Halloween. <laughs> so that, I just made that up. I just made that on the fly. That's what I do. Um, there you go. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk to uh, Kristen today. Um, I don't need to do a reveal, but uh, you were just at IBMA, and so I think we're going to talk about uh, IBMA, we're going to talk about banjo camps, we're going to talk about up the neck backup playing, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Is there anything else I missed off that list? New record uh, this year oh, that yeah. her and her husband Wayne put out, and uh, some other some other stops the Grascals are making, and uh, whatever right. else we get into, yeah. That's right. So, no longer is she the five-time IBMA Banjo Player of the Year award winner. She is now the six-time IBMA Banjo Player of the Year award winner. Please welcome Miss Kristen Scott Benson. Hey, guys. Hey, Kristen, how are you? I'm doing good. You're awfully yeah. kind. Uh, I just kind of freestyled that one. But it's from the heart, see? Mm -hmm. see? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to have missed you this year uh, at IBMA. I uh, couldn't make it, but uh, I hear it was a wonderful time, not least because of con the congratulations owed to you for for the award that's fantastic uh, yeah it was dave was there dave witnessed the whole thing yeah, yeah it's great this is great to see see win it again and uh you you're right up there you you and i was trying to count um all the times you wanted oh, i know this and, uh, and one of my students just told me jim mills jim mills you're tied, you're yeah. tied. Yeah. yeah oh really yeah good company there yeah there you go some That's good voting sure. to happen next year for sure. Yeah, that's right. But <laughs> I was so glad that some of the Deering folks were there. I gave, I gave a shout out. You know, I think an enormous component to a, a musician's um, just everything is the instrument that they're playing. I've been playing this banjo exclusively for, we figured up, about a year and a half now. So mm -hmm. I feel like Deering is a huge part of everything that I'm doing because every day when I get the banjo out of the case, it's, uh, it's this daring golden wreath. So uh, I really appreciate you guys. Oh, so, thanks so much. Pleasure's all ours, and, and thank you for everything you do. You, you, it's, it's just a real pleasure working with you, and it's just it's easy. It's easy when it's fun, right? That's right. So, it's easy to yeah. play a banjo when you love it, right? And uh, and that's the reason I've been so reluctant for endorsements for uh, so many years. I just uh, didn't want to give up playing my old one and didn't necessarily know if there was a banjo out there that i could be happy with uh but you coaxed me with a trip to Jens kruger's house to uh try out banjos and and who says no to that right and i just fell in love with this one and uh, like i said since i got it back from you guys i have uh minus one show that we talked about where there was a mishap uh, mm. i've played it a hundred percent of the time so i'm i'm really impressed with it and it's easy to endorse it and uh, mean it when you really believe it's a great instrument. Thank you. 
that's that's all we can ask for. Mm-hmm. It means we're doing something right. That's right. Uh, it's tradition for Deering Live. Do you want to play us a little something, something to get in into I the sure show? I sure can. Uh, I wish I remembered what I had played previously because I have such a rut of on this kind of thing. I always want to play something slow to start, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. not fast. Uh, so I don't remember what I had done. Let's get in tune first. Make the self-tuning banjo. Deering. No, you know what? Come up with that. I know, I know, a, I know a pretty reputable company that tried doing that with guitars. It didn't work out so well. Seriously? So, oh, yeah. It's been tried. Right? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, like robot tuners on the back. It, it wasn't a good look. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. see how it could work. Yeah. 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 play something yeah Uh, just as long as it's not too fast that makes it a great first song so how about uh goodbye liza jane you guys know that too Sounds great. Yeah, the banjo sounds better than I'm playing it right now. I will, <laughs> I will definitely go with that. How do you come up with playing something, like in this situation when you're playing solo and you generally don't play a lot of solo stuff, um, how do you go, how do you to kind of decide what to do and not to put too much like pressure on yourself? As, yeah, you know. that's a that's a great question and, and something I should think a lot more about because what inevitably happens is, um, you know, if you're Yens or you're Bela or Noam or some of those guys, they're constantly putting themselves in different situations. And a lot of those situations may be them playing alone. And for me, I'm always in the safety of a bluegrass band, even if I'm doing different things, uh, you know, playing with different groups or filling in or recording, it's always in a band situation. So the problem is, um, I just, 
haven't really put a lot of thought into what to do, uh, you know, at a time like uh, this, where it's just the banjo by itself. And since I'm primarily a banjo uh, traditional player, you know, I'm just probably going to play some Scruggsy type tunes and you can imagine the band behind me. But really, I, you know, I always feel this way after, uh, you know, something like this, like I, I need to work up some stuff and I have some things, but uh, nothing that I would, you know, be be ready to play. And the tunes I write, unfortunately, uh, tend to be very band dependent. For instance, like, uh, you know, it's wrong key, but... It's a, that's a pretty song, but it's still uh, band dependent. So it's not straight ahead bluegrass. It's not that it always has to be uh, something straight ahead and traditional, especially when I write, it tends not to be, but it always seems to be very band dependent. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's a, a bit of a fish out of water anytime, you know, I'm doing this sort of thing. I love to talk about banjos, but I like, uh, I like to play in full band settings uh, sure. because it it's very exposed if you're not used to it. Right, right. Do you have a tendency to think you should play slower things when you're playing solo to let it ring out and fill out the sound versus playing something kind of hard driving that has Yeah, that I don't know. Um, I think the main thing is just to play well, which I yeah. also honestly just don't do uh, when you're talking see look earl scruggs set the template banjo players can be on the side we don't have to smile we don't have to talk and we we never have to interact except to play the banjo right and uh and seriously so you put a banjo player who never MCs or anything in this situation and it's a it's a lot different right mm -hmm. but um but man there's nothing like playing straight ahead banjo in a bluegrass band. Right. I mean, the, the, then it's like the banjo is at the center of it and it feels good and mm -hmm. safe and familiar. And, uh, and that's what I love and that's what I do. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, like I'm thinking on your question, maybe a Scruggs tune like... driving and stuff but that may be better than right so yeah yeah they both i mean they both sound great but i maybe is it because down the neck a lot of it to kind of the to the to the layman sounds a little more of the same and when you move up the neck Hold on just a sec. Yeah. yeah, I think when uh, you move up the neck, the melody is is a little more obvious. Yeah, I think too to the layman, uh, and I mean even non banjo players maybe more so than people who love the banjo. But um, I think melodic tunes are really mm -hmm. ideal for that. Like if right. somebody says, "Hey, you play the banjo, play a song for me," I'll yeah. do something like uh, "Blackberry Blossom" or even like uh, "Blackbird." You know, mm -hmm. something they would know. Uh, listen. 
Let's see. I wouldn't do this one. There it is. You know, something like that would be yeah. good if um, you're just going to play on something because this means nothing to them. The which is where I live and breathe, you know, so you have to mm -hmm. kind of cater it, I guess, to the audience right, that right. is right in front of you. And that could be one person in your living room, but that's what we all have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then kind of one of your topics, like you're playing Blackbird right there. And I think, you know, you're, you're just, you haven't played it in a bit and you kind of were figuring it out on the spot. Where do you kind of go psychologically right there to try to figure it out? Is there a spot so you don't just get overly flustered? You're, you know, you yeah, stay well, in the zone and you're, you got it right there. Yeah, that's a that's a that's an interesting question. I mean, what I was thinking about right then, just I remembered that it had the ascending and descending lines, mm -hmm. so it was going to go from here to here, and there was the. That's why I like uh, things like that. I'm a huge sucker for ascending and descending lines because of the tension it creates. Like, this sounds great, right? Uh -huh. But this sounds way better. Oops. Uh -huh. You know, there's just, something has to happen now. We're here. You don't necessarily need anything else, but, and man, the Beatles were great at devices like that where, it just sounds easy on the ears, but if you actually listen to them, they're doing some really interesting things. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, so what I was thinking of was, okay, what is, what is that line? There it is. I think that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that kind of tune is good to play for people. Anything that they recognize. Right. Definitely. Well, do you, we're we're going to kind of focus today on uh, some up the neck backup um, uh, tutorials. Do you want to kind of dive into that when you're playing? So I guess uh, a real generally, like when you're playing in a in a in a straight ahead bluegrass band, when do you go start going up the neck versus staying like down? You know, doing a rolling thing in a more open position, or just or just doing kind of you know the offbeat. Um, um, uh, down the neck? When when do you make that shift up the neck? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first part of uh, understanding your role, the job, the R-O-L-E, mm -hmm. of um, your being inside a band, I, I think is uh, to ask those kinds of questions first so that you're not just uh, randomly uh, playing at different times. But you know, I remind students because I teach all the time and um, I remind them that we play backup about 90% of the time, right? right so right. you spend 90% of your time learning all these solos, but you only get the solo maybe 20 seconds a song mm -hmm. and uh, or maybe not at all even. So we've got to be good backup players. And I, I developed uh, this system for down the neck, low rolling backup, which is our default setting as bluegrass banjo players today. And uh, the the system worked well, meaning that uh, just having a format, like a leveled approach, um, 
seemed to help people with the low stuff. So I tried to do a watered down version of that for up the neck, but, um, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But the, to answer your first question though, uh, generally you get one shot at that. Now, if you're flat and scrugs, Earl played a ton of up the neck, neck backup because it was his band, you know, and, um, mm -hmm. They didn't emphasize the fiddle a lot, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the mandolin a lot. So mm -hmm. it was mainly banjo fiddle, and Earl sang on a lot of the choruses, so he got a lot of verses to back up because he sang on the chorus. But, like, if you um, if you listen to their albums, uh, the banjo backup is just as crucial as Lester's lead vocal. I mean, mm -hmm. his banjo playing, it, it he was... Um, it's only appropriate that they were co-billed because the banjo was just so prominent. Now that isn't the case for us in most bands. So generally you're only going to get one shot at an up the neck backup place. So it may be one verse or one chorus. So I tell people the default setting is just kind of low rolling plane backup like this, like, um, the default setting where we spend most of our time. And then uh, if it is your turn to back that verse up, uh, we get to play fills. So then it may be like... That's a busier low backup, and that is, um, you know, songs tend to be in band settings, and even in jams, there's a lot of communication between the people in jams where if the mandolin player starts playing fills, the fiddle player will probably start chopping, right? So just with eye contact, you can arrange on the spot, but mm -hmm. the whole idea is that I'm not going to be going... <laughs> if the mandolin is playing fills, you know, probably mm -hmm. it's one or the other. So I'd be doing more of the, so you don't want to go up the neck until it is definitely your turn to do it. And you typically don't want to do that on the first verse. So that okay. that's the very long answer to say, you get to do it one verse or chorus per song generally. And you usually don't start out that way, but sometimes you do, it depends on the, you know, if it's a swingy song, like, Especially uh, a key like that, where that's C, we can definitely play it down here, but, uh, or F, you know, you're up the neck way more when you're not just in G. Mm hmm. And we have uh, a listener, a viewer is, is um, saying, my backup tends to be too much like melody. Mm -hmm. How do you, you kind of, especially when you go up the neck, yeah. you know, how do you kind of do that without? Well, it's actually harder to uh, stay off the melody down the neck, okay. but the keys to that, I've, uh, I feel like a physician. Some, I've treated a lot of patients who, no, I've had a lot of students who had that problem. And one thing that, that it does for you when 
uh, you have a tendency to jump on melody when you're playing backup is if you hit a melody note, it's like you derail and now you're just stuck on the, the break a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea, and this is uh, for the lower stuff, is to focus on the chords, not the melody. And I have a little formula where uh, I talk about the root note and the rest and then the forward roll and the reverse. So you just basically plug this formula in and it's all chord dependent. It has nothing to do with the melody. So that's not to say that if you're playing a root note in C, the melody may be on that C, but it could also be the E, it could be the G, it could be an A, right? Moving somewhere else. So you don't care though. You're gonna follow this formula of root note rest, forward roll, and then a reverse. And then you're gonna do it in C. And so what that makes you do is start thinking a little bit more like a guitar player or a mandolin player. You know, they're just chopping, they're playing right. rhythm. The melody means nothing to them. It's how long am I in each chord? So the way to combat that tendency of playing melody or too, too melody-driven uh, content, um, and sometimes it's involuntary. You know, it's like people just, they have to run with it once they get that in their mind. It's just to think of it as more chord-based, uh, with root notes being emphasized regardless of what the melody does. And that little formula that I, I gave can really help with that. Now, once we move up the neck, people tend to struggle uh, playing up the neck uh, melodies anyway. So it's much less of a problem when you're playing okay. up the neck, I think. So if you're playing, what are some standard... Um not licks really, I guess licks, but techniques that you're using when you go up the neck. Um, yeah. um, you know, if it's just like hanging on a G chord for what, yeah. would, you, what would you do up there? Well, you know, I kind of try to mirror the, uh, down the neck approach where you had that formula that you used. So I, I kind of created just a real simple levelized approach to up the neck as well. And what you'll find, whether it's playing lead solos or playing backup, you tend it's it's greatly watered down. There's just less we do up here to mm -hmm. to a large degree. You know, uh, down low you may go. And then the equivalent of that for up the neck was uh, he played. that's way less intricate. That's just a bunch of four rolls and five mountain breakdown rolls over chords versus you didn't really hear any of that there. And then it goes to C. You know, and it's just so it's um it's, it's going to be simpler and easier to get, actually, if you're good moving your chords around. So that leads us to the, the heart of what we're going to talk about uh, tonight with the up-the-neck backup. And that is people tend to know the licks and know the fills. And one reason why is because they can hear them. When you listen on a record, the fills, and that's just the licks that are played in the holes there, a lot of times they're mixed higher, so you can hear it 
even if they're not, the vocal we're assuming has stopped for a second. So it's easier to hear what the banjo's doing. So they just try to, people just try to string those licks together. And that's a, a, an understandable attempt at getting at it. So what I heard in backup, even if people weren't playing melody, you know, they knew this. They didn't know the skeleton, the underlying fabric of it all. So I start with that up the neck. So if we begin with a real uh, simple roll, the roll is going to be... sense when I add the left hand but I encourage students just to play the roll open like that just to get comfortable with it notice there's no fifth string in this roll uh, and that's intentional so that's going to sound good in E or F or wherever you are okay now if we just add an F shaped G to that mm -hmm. Playing up the neck, we for sure want to be away from the bridge. We don't want this. Okay, maybe you do. It's an exception, though, if you do. Okay, so then the next step is just to play it in C and D as well, because that's our one, four, and five. And then we're going to move it up to D. Okay, and then back to G. Now remember slides are your friends. So if I'm playing Blue Ridge Cabin Home, uh, I would have. Okay, two things to say about that. So we have this simple roll. it never changed so the roll is the same and this is the fabric that the licks sit on all of those licks that you like that's not the heart of backup up the neck you got to be able to roll and not interfere with what the person's uh, singing so once you're good at just playing the role in F shapes uh, Pay attention especially to the rest at the end of the phrase, right here. It's almost like gravity. Everybody wants to hit this. It, it is universal. They want that last string in. Well, that messes up your ability to slide cleanly. And we're mm -hmm. making big shifts, so we need a rest at the end so we can make our big shift. was easy. I could make that big shift because I left the rest, but it wasn't like this. Right? Where are you going to hit that first string? You're not going to make it. So just leave it as a rest. All right. So then once people can handle that, I just make sure that they can strum through the F shape and D shape of, of the one, four, and five. So we have F shape G, D shaped G, F shape C, D shaped C, F shape D, D shape D, and then back to your G. 
Okay, so now the only thing that's going to change, the roll's still the same. So nothing changed, but we're going to slide in between measures and split the roll between the two shapes. Okay, and I can go back to G, I can go to C at that point. When that rest happens, I am free to go to any chord I need it to be. Okay, but in the case of Blue Ridge Cabin Home, which is a great sample song, I will go to C. So let me try that. Slide. Rest. Rest. is it. The whole song just repeats that pattern. So what would it sound like if this is all you did? up the neck back up all it requires it's the same roll over and over all it requires is some some dexterity to shift between the f shapes and d shapes and if that isn't there yet stick with the f shapes your bearings there you are playing up the neck backup it's yeah. uh you're a valid up the neck player and that's way better than doing this and uh -huh. just playing all over the place that's like the equivalent i i like to think of this our strum or mm -hmm. our chop that's just what we do to support um, and then you just grow it and you change things just one little thing at a time until it gets a little more interesting okay so just as a recap we played our open roll can you quickly we have a person in the chat yeah. asking to go over that roll can you yeah, explain sure. that roll a little bit you bet so it's um it's all strings one, two, three, and four, no fifth string at all. And we, it's a four and a rest. So think of that, if you're in an F shape, that's your root note. Okay, so you wanna state that, and then you wanna go, <sighs> you want that breath, right? So there's your root. Now you're gonna play a forward roll. Back to the fourth. Okay, so that's measure one. One, three, two, one, four. I'm trying to envision him writing this down, so I want to give him time. So, so that's four, one, three, two, one, four. Okay, there's your rest. 
Now, if you're shifting, that's when you're gonna, okay? But you don't have to, you can stay put. So then the second measure would be one, three, two, one, three, two, four, with the rest. Okay, so measure two is one, three, two, one, three, two, four, rest. Okay? So that's a recap of the roll. Then we did it in all F shapes over the tune Blue Ridge Cabin Home. Then we added a slide to the D shape. Slide. New chord. Slide. Rest. Rest. to it. That slid note is on the fourth string, right? The what? That that note you're sliding on is yeah. on the fourth string. The fourth. Yeah, it just sounds so big, you know. Yeah. Earl was the best at that. Uh making those fourth string slides. You just they sounded so right. big, right? Yeah. Um so yeah, the the slides have been on the fourth. So now we're going to add one nuance. Okay. And this is just a little single string thing that certainly isn't essential. So you don't have to do it, but it works great only in a D shape. So if I was going to play the same pattern, okay, instead of three, two, four, I'm going to play thumb, index, thumb. And on this hand, the ring drops down. Okay, that one little nuance adds quite a bit actually, but you don't have to do it. Okay, so the second measure becomes Okay, so what would that turn into? That's good backup now. And um, you're bouncing in your chord shapes. You're bouncing essentially from from shape wise. Your F, F shape, shape to a D shape. That's right? it. The whole right. time. That's all it was. Realize too, if you haven't already, folks. You know, tab can be such a a help, but it can also really be a nuisance. If I were to tab this and mm -hmm. hand it to people, they could miss that I'm doing the exact same thing. Not, I'm doing that one thing. I did it in G, then I did it in C, and then I did it in D. It's not about fives and nines and then tens and then fourteens. Right. You know, it's one thing that you learn and then you just shift it around. And that's an important um, realization. And if I don't think tab is bad for this sort of thing, but I, I always want to see them doing it before I give tab 
for it mm -hmm. because, um, and in fact, when I teach this, I just give it in G. I just write the tab in G because I want them to not think about eights and nine, you know, mm -hmm. like a, this is not 10, nine and eight, it's C, you know? So uh, I think you learn it much faster and I think it inserts itself into your long-term memory um, much more securely when okay. you actually understand what you're doing. Uh, so, you know, with this system, you can really play pretty good up the neck backup um, on any song. Now, the beauty of this is, you know, the, the first thing uh, a thoughtful student is going to say, well, Blue Ridge Cabin Home has the same length chords the whole time. And mm -hmm. that's true. It's the reason it's so good to practice this stuff. So what do I do if I have a one measure change? Because mm -hmm. we have two measures of G, C, D, G, and then we do it again. What if it's a one measure? Well, that's the beauty. We have a rest at the end of measure one. We have a rest at the end of measure two. So you just split it. So say mm -hmm. we're doing uh, Blue Ridge, uh, I'm sorry, say we're doing um, nine pound hammer. and then you can go back to here or you could be done with it and you chose that shape because it was the closest to you yeah as opposed to going way up the neck or doing yeah yeah that that's my uh go-to is always what's nearest what's most convenient so maybe uh i take a tune like uh uh, loves like a flower, let's say. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I'm going to play on this tune is what we've done. So it's going to be that roll. Maybe I do the single string thing though, but that's it. Okay. So nothing else is going to get played. Uh, loves like a flower. So you can see how what that does for people is give them a foundational fill in the blanks type pattern. And then the licks come on top of that and it works the same way down the neck. The good news is there's even less to learn up the neck. Um, and there are all kinds of categories. I mean, I, I try to present this simply and we spend our whole lives doing it right. So it's not like, you know, you you're a Sonny Osborne backup player in 20 minutes. Uh, it's a rest of your life pursuit. But I do think by concentrating on the understandably overlooked underlying fabric of backup and just saying, here, just play this. Sometimes mm -hmm. just narrowing it down and say, just play this. And then you can start to trickle things in like, oh, that was bad.
category of those licks, you know, mm-hmm. and um, we could talk about those. I, I categorize everything. Uh, I can't help it. So, you know, these D-shaped uh, licks are all in a box to me, you know, and the the foundational one would be... Like that's the one that I think it's all built on, and that's a a, a very um, commonly misplayed lick. Uh, it starts on the fifth string, and then you slide. It doesn't matter where you start the slide, but you need to land on eight uh, on the second string, which is your G note. So that's your first thing there, and you're way away from the bridge. And then you hit the index again on the second string. So you have thumb, index with a slide, index again. And that really gets people. You know, I've seen it done mm-hmm. so many different ways. That's generally what we want. One thing that makes that attractive, that look attractive, is it starts on a fifth string and it's open. So if we're here and we want to go back to a G, we're far from it. But if we go... See, we got the open fifth string, and that gives us time to make our shift. So it's easy to even overuse these ones because just about whatever you've done before, you can play this after it. So mm-hmm. it's a real uh, go-to, get you out of a bind kind of lick. But so anyway, it's a five-two-two. Two, your little single string thing comes back again. And then you have to decide. It is a speed thing and also a comfortability thing. Most of the time, we will double our thumb and then play an index. Thumb, thumb, index. So measure one became ready, go, one. Two, play it again. One more time again. If the double thumb is a problem, you can thumb index thumb. You can go thumb index thumb, and that gets you out of the double thumb. Thumb index thumb, thumb index thumb. And then you can decide what to do next. A really uh, universal, if you just do some quarter notes there, then you can go to any chord you need. Um, but there are other things like uh, a real simple quarter note lead in to C could be see how nice that was but that's going to guide you to C okay well this one yeah are these little things kind of where you can start to put yourself into into the, your backup playing so, and put a little bit of different flavor yeah. maybe in a different song, these little passing tones. and, and Yeah, I think so. I mean, nothing that I teach early on uh, is anything other than there's nothing that Scruggs did not play. Uh-huh. And even if you're learning a lot of Crow backup or a lot of Sunny backup, Scruggs played most of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you do get into a lot of character when you start studying Crow and Sonny's um, backup for sure. But at this point, none of me is in it yet. You know, this Mm -hmm. is just regurgitating basic Scruggs backup. 
in a way that, um, you know, can be easily transferred to anything. But I do love to play backup. It's my, it's my favorite thing for sure. And I love slow songs and I love chords. So uh, I really dig this sort of thing. But this is still just very generic. So, yeah, you, you always identify yourself by what you choose to play. And I guess there is a good bit of identification in that, even if it's reassembling not necessarily original phrases. I mean, in banjo, assembly is a massive component of mm-hmm. banjo playing. It's dropping in these licks that, you know, the licks are these chunks. You think in chunks a lot of the time on banjo and how you assemble that can be greatly um associated with you as a player but that doesn't necessarily mean that the chunks themselves aren't still scrugs it's Mm -hmm. a weird instrument that way um but certainly in backup uh you can do a lot of cool things i mean you listen to sonny and you can tell that so much of the time he was responding to what bobby's saying but not always uh like uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, gently or uh, considerately. That's the word. Like he may play something that that is inspired by something Bobby just sang, but it's just all over the place, you know. So so he's a he was such a, a personality. And uh-huh. man, did you ever hear that in his backup playing and his lead playing too? But it was sassy and it uh-huh. was witty and it was. Um, fearless and so yes it it, backup playing can absolutely be an opportunity to express yourself but i think you'd probably be moving beyond this this sort of thing when that happens how do you how would you compare because you brought up jd crow's backup playing too how do you would you compare his backup playing with earl scruggs and and you just Mm -hmm. talked about sonny osborne's so yeah well uh i i get real nervous saying anything um uh, like this, because I haven't been able to copy any of those guys well, but I can come closer to copying Earl. And that sounds just uh, blasphemous, but of the three, he's the easiest for me to copy because he was the most precise mm-hmm. and he was the most um, just uh, what would be a good word? He was the most concise and the most tempered, I would say, if that makes any sense. And then Crow had a lot more grease in his playing, I would say. There, there's more syncopation. It's much less even, even though he's amazing and, and you don't necessarily even think of him as being anything other than perfect. There is syncopation in his playing. And um, a lot of, uh, like he loved a lot of bands, you know. Uh, he played a lot of greasy stuff. Uh, and then Sonny, you move even further away from that, where there's a lot of original ideas coming out. Not just like Crow, I think, had a lot of Crow takes on what he had heard from Earl and other players. And then uh, Sonny, you just didn't know what would come out of him. So as you move further away from that real um, well-defined, clean uh, environment that Scruggs kind of lived in, uh, it gets harder for me. I can always figure it out, but then when I play it back, it just doesn't have the spirit that they uh-huh. have, you know, but, uh, those are three just amazing backup players to listen to. Yeah. 
we have a, a viewer who's mentioning and he kind of went over it i think um but says my biggest challenge up the neck was dealing with fretted strings all the time mm -hmm. and is that mainly you, you doing that with uh you know that rest that you're talking about as you slide is that what, one of the I, big ways to you know help give yourself a chance to yeah so i i wish i could ask uh have a conversation with him when he said he was struggling with uh fred his strings all the all the time did it does it just mean playing chords the left-handedness of chords maybe are, yeah. are of, of difficult yeah maybe, maybe it's making chord shapes yeah right it's playing you know a slide on you know down the neck when you're playing like a, a lead part yeah yeah i can understand that uh one trick to remember i think is that um you know, rarely do we put all the fingers down for a chord at the same time. It's kind of like a domino effect. So let me just uh, kind of show, try to do it in slow motion. This is Fisher. Fisher. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if, uh, if I'm here, now it's important to notice all these fingers came off the strings. They don't leave the vicinity, but mm -hmm. the pressure isn't on. So they're they're close to where they need to be, but they're not pressed down. So only this has pressure on it. Right. And then in slow motion, the pinky goes down, then the index goes down, then the middle goes down. So if you could slow that down in real time, it would look like that, a domino effect. Mm -hmm. You know what? My index, did, um, my pinky did stay down. It wasn't pressed with uh, yeah. any intensity, but it, these are like your railroad spikes. They kind of yeah. never leave. Um, but did you see how these were still up at the start? Yeah. So that might be something to work on, just to realize that you're not moving the entire chord shapes, particularly when some of them have to switch strings. So think of it more as a stay in contact with the string, but maybe don't press it down and don't think of it as one thing, but rather a domino effect that will come down as needed. Uh, another thing to that I really believe in, um, gosh, we could talk so much like we could talk forever about those D-shaped uh, yeah. backup licks. But the chord scale is just the G major chord scale will transform people's playing, I believe, especially in a backup scenario, quicker than any other thing. And it gets you great at chords. So I think um, there are some fundamental drills that everybody needs to speaking to the, the person who wrote in some fundamental drills that everyone needs to work on. And some of it is being sure that all four fingers can be played. So maybe you just strum all your G's. And that's um, important. Go what ahead. do you do to people when they, because a lot of time I know with students of mine, the, you know, that they can't do that. There's, there's, there's a finger muting something. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to without them there to fix yeah. it. But how do you tell? What's it something generally can say to kind of? Yeah, um, you have to suss it out, and you have to uh, 
deal with your own hand. Like everybody's hand is different and they bend differently. But here's the good news. The main reason I want people to be able to do that, and if you're trying to make sure that every note is clear, you just hit it one string at a time. Like... just try to figure out uh, what strings are muted and fix it. But here's the good news. If that doesn't go well for you, it's okay. Because the the bulk of our playing with chords is going to happen on strings one, two, and three. And even if there's a time we would want the fourth string, if that's hard for you, you don't have to do it. You can, you can work around as long as you've got strings one, two, and three. The main reason you want to be able to strum, even if it isn't clear, is to know which fingers go where, because we never want to do this. Never want to do that, because what if I did need a fourth? I'm, out, I'm over. I, I'm in a box now. We never want to do this, right? So by doing, even if the the chord doesn't sound great, at least you know which string, which finger goes on which string. Now, this can be just as difficult. For some, they're great at this. Yeah. But leaving the free finger flying free. That's what I say. You've got to leave the free finger flying free. So if I'm going to pinch one, two, and three, that means that the fourth string finger should be up. And it's just as hard for people to pull fingers up as it is to put them all down sometimes. So you're going to be greatly slowed down moving around if you don't need the fourth string and you're it's still it's just like uh mm -hmm. empty baggage right it's just weighing you down so you also want to be able to do this but with the correct fingers never that right so maybe i'll stay like that for just a sec so because the angle i think is a little better so this is a great drill Right? The ring finger was up the entire the ring time. Is, the ring is up the entire time. Well, there, I, I grabbed the bar, actually. Okay. So, uh, with it, but in those F shapes and D shapes, so in, if you pinched uh, Blue Ridge Cabin Home, it'd be... Right, so the ring is not down if you're not using it. Well, then do that all with all your C chords. I guess... You could grab that one. And then the D's. And then I have a drill where I help people slide up the neck with those, and I have a drill where I help them slide down the neck with those because it's a different process. Sliding up, you do it differently than sliding uh, down. And if you can just get some basic maneuverability with, um, with chords, it really opens up the neck because now you're not bound to open G stuff because you lose your open G stuff when you're in F or E or even C, a lot of it goes away. So now you, you've gained the whole neck in G. You've also gained a lot of information for those other keys that uh, removed your openness. So it's essential, I think, to, to get good at this. And my experience has said that people get better making if they're just trying to make the chords well by pinching then rolling so all you do mm -hmm. is you pinch and you get good at the shifts because mm -hmm. it's a grid it's a repeating grid you have an f shape you have an f shape then you go up two four frets 
and you have a D shape, and then you go up three frets, and you have a bar shape, and then you go up two, four, five frets, and you've started over. So I tell everybody FD bar, which mm-hmm. means nothing to kids. FDR, uh, <laughs> they they don't know who FDR is, right. <laughs> but FD bar gives you the order. So F plus four D plus three bar. Then go up five and start again till you run out of room. So once you understand that it's a grid and you can one, two, three, pinch it, then and only then start trying to roll. And once the roll begins to be a part of your playing, then that domino effect on the left hand happens where you're not just thinking, oh, I'm going from here to here. It's got to happen all at the same time. It, yeah. it really doesn't. But, you know, I teach so much and I'm so passionate about trying to help folks you know, I have like five different things that we could talk about right now, and it's so important. But the G major chord scale is so good, and it sounds so good. You know, we could talk about that for days, and um, and it can transform your playing. And yeah. it, it's fun to play because it, it sounds musical even by itself. Yeah. Um, one quick question on your open D chord, do you always play it with the, with your pinky down versus your ring finger on the first string? Always pinky. Always pinky. I've seen, I've seen a, a lot of students doing it, you know, with your ring like finger. On the, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. you've just, you've lost all of this. You got to have a pinky here. Well, Kristen, uh, we've come to about the top of the hour. We want to get a few more things and then we want to let you go. But you're so passionate about about the band, about the instrument and the music. And so you can always feel such great lessons and such great tips. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, You know, I'm I'm blessed. The the students really, uh, you know, a lot of people say, gosh, if you teach a lot, it'll suck your musical soul <laughs> from your body, you know, and, and it can, if you let it do that, it can. Uh, but I might just have the best students in the world, but they inspire me, you know, because they're still excited about learning, which is how we're supposed yeah. to be. And they're, um, they get excited about, you know, you give them this. And they're just on the moon. Well, I remember learning that and how I felt when I learned that lick and uh, how cool I thought it was. And so I feed off of that. And uh, the more you teach and the better you get at it and the more you're able to help people, if you enjoy seeing people get better and, and enjoy seeing them enjoy it, then teaching can actually be really encouraging. You know, it doesn't have to be the suck your musical soul from your body experience <laughs> that so many people say it is <laughs> that's good yeah. i'm glad you've kept a good mind about it yeah uh, i want to bring jamie in I, I think he has a question that was sent in somewhere oh jamie i i have a quiz what was no i'm just kidding what <laughs> string did i play no the first probably Probably, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? That was awesome. That was really, really cool. First of all, where's Fisher? Let's, uh, let's, is he still there? He's still here. 
He's hey, just Fisher. out of the frame. He's a good boy. Not his first appearance on Daring Live. No, he's, <laughs> no. he's never far from me. So if, if yeah. I'm around, he's probably going to be. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so I had a couple of questions for you. Um, Chip Haynes, everyone, is there something that you hear or anything that immediately tells you that this is a great spot for the six white horses? Now, I don't know what that means. So you might have to interpret that. Uh, can he answer back? Is he talking about this one? Is that the lick? Uh, uh, let's find out. We'll give him a minute to respond. The other question is somewhat related, and you know this guy, and we know this guy, but he emailed me instead of coming into the chat. Uh, mm -hmm. Mr. Ernie Welch. Okay. Um, he says, do you concentrate on tone and timing consciously, or has it just come from your years of playing and experience? Yeah, I think tone and timing, um, the way to make that happen, and uh, there are so many good examples of this, like the quality of your pull-offs, or anytime there's a habit that you wish was better, as soon as you start thinking about the song or the solo, um, it goes away. So tone mm. and timing are such essentials that you have to work on tone and timing totally by themselves. So that means you're not going to work on your timing, you know, playing a... That's not a good lick to work on your timing, you know, because you, you're going to think about the lick. You want to do the lick, uh, you know, you want it to be something like backup. So the idea is to do something that's so simple that you can consciously think of tone and timing, maybe just one at a time actually, but you just do that so much. And I remember standing in front of a mirror, you know, and just... And just aiming for the accuracy and the evenness. I was always such a freak about evenness. So the idea is that you do it so much thinking only about that, that then when you're playing other things and your mind is elsewhere, it's just how you play. Mm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, Chip Haynes has responded, yes, that is yes. The, the lick he was. That's what I was thinking. So uh, I think that works great on uh, swingy type stuff. So like if you were playing back up to Foggy Mountain Special, the backup we've played tonight would be great for that. Uh, we did this kind of fill. We talked about that one being good. You have the high drawer. That's what I call it. Like the... You have those. Well, this is another type fill. And it's um, the F-shaped. It's always... It can work in any chord, but it's an F-shaped lick. And it works great for this. So... See how good that was? And, then, and there are a few ways you can do that, but that's one way. Uh, another way would be more single strings so that you can alternate if the doubles get you, like that still gets the point across without the pinches. 
if your right hand gives you trouble doubling, then this will help. See, there, that was back to back, alternating a couple times, and either will work. So I think swingy uh, scenarios are great for that lick, and also just general of the neck playing. And then the more, like if you're an F, the more you're going to think that way automatically like if it was um you know banks of the ohio and f <laughs> such a happy lick for such a, a brutal uh murderous uh song that's the bluegrass way you know but gets more and more convenient once you leave your regular keys. I like that answer. That's awesome. Chip, I hope that helps. Hope that helps. Question um, for you from, from me, really. The I was on the on the phone this morning with uh, Hank Smith, who you probably know mm -hmm. from, from Blue Ridge, and I think Dave was going to bring up Blue Ridge as well. But I hear all the time comments about how good of a teacher you are. There's people in the chat today talking about how good of a teacher you are. And it's, it's, it's really natural the way you approach things and it makes it just so clear to, to follow and understand. It's, it's great. Is there, do you have a preference on which, do you, are you a performer first and then a teacher or do you consider yourself a teacher? Is there one that you like more than the other? Uh, you know, just well, I'm, I'm curious because you're, you're very passionate yeah. about both. Um, I was reluctant to ever start teaching. You know, mm. I didn't want to do it. And uh, it's definitely something you get better at with experience. I shudder to think about the early students and how much better I would be if, if I could be with that uh, student again. Uh, I could probably help him or her a lot better. But I would say I still, um, this, this is exactly what it is. I have a very clear answer. So I still like playing and performing better uh, if I'm relaxed, uh, but I'm much more confident as a teacher than a player. Mm -hmm. So so there's that rub where if I'm relaxed, I have terrible stage fright, uh, even doing this kind of thing, sometimes even heightened when I'm talking a lot. But once we started into the teaching part, I relaxed. But that front mm -hmm. part, you know, so uh, relaxed in performing, is my favorite. But if I'm going to be nervous, uh, which is quite possible, then that's a real bummer, you know? So I would say I still prefer, you know, playing in a band for sure. Um, but I'm, I think a, a lot better teacher than I am a player. It's good to know. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just, I hear it. Thank all you. The I time. feel like I should pay you for that. That's got to be worth some uh, therapy. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be some therapy money there or something. It, it just it comes across well, you know. And a lot of people have said the exact same thing. You know, I, I wouldn't call myself a banjo player at all. So I've never had the privilege of of being in a class or anything like that. But certainly, Hank speaks very highly, uh, oh, as does everybody so nice. else. And it's uh, yeah, yeah, no, he is. He's, he's one of the best. And um, uh, that's what makes up that camp. But Dave, I think you were going to bring up the the camp as well a little bit. Just yeah, how was how was the camp this year? I was there, you know, a year ago, and and I was in your class. Your class was 
the one that stood out to me. Oh, that's great. I mean, yeah. all the are fantastic, but it was, there was something about it. It's just, it was very, you could get, dial right in what everybody needed, sort of. Yeah. Very, very, well, that's very encouraging. Quick. I always uh, am relieved to hear uh, that kind of feedback because you always hope that you're helping uh, folks and figuring out, especially when you have a big class like that, uh, where's everybody at and how can you best help the most people? You know, that's mm -hmm. that's one of the challenges when it's a camp setting. But uh, camp was great this year. Uh, we had Greg List uh, mm -hmm. with the four teachers that uh, the year you were there, I think it was uh, Bela, Tony and me with Ryan. Adam Larrabee, right? Well, Adam was back and uh, Greg List was there. So there was a lot of uh, incredibly creative, uh, yeah. crazy stuff happening musically. And uh, it was super fun. You know, that that's like the most stressful and most rewarding week of my year <laughs> is, is really how that goes. And I, I think the campers kind of feel that way, too, because they're pushed. I mean, you yeah. as a camper, you feel uh, exhilarated and, and excited, but also some pressure, I think, which is not intentional, but I think is inevitably there sometimes. So uh, but there's you just leave more excited about the banjo than you are for the whole rest of the year. It's just like this ultimate energizing experience to me. Yeah. The vibe is really good. You mentioned like pressure, but it's healthy pressure. It it's is. Not, it's healthy not pressure. Not like a competitive. Not at all. Role. No. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the big concert, by the way, we're talking about Bale Flex, um, Blue Ridge Banjo Camp. And uh, Deering always has a presence at this camp, and um, and the the teachers are just really world class instructors. It's not just uh, I don't think he aims for only great players. I think he aims for players who have a lot of teaching experience, and I think that really helps. Obviously, that's going to make it a better uh, camp. And then the uh, the vibe is just so banjo it's just so positive and so uh singular right and everybody starts your day by just listening to bela play for an hour and talk an hour and it how can that not be a great way to start the day right so right. it's a it's a really cool experience and i teach at a lot of camps and a lot of camps have a lot of great things going on um i think this one what this one has though is it, it has bela you know and and the the group that has kind of started embodying this the the student population there's this uh undercurrent of really wonderful people who are setting the tone and the culture for that camp to make it really inviting and fun for the new people and i i think that's one of the kindest things we can do for one another yeah um do you have well it's before we go, I want to touch on a few things. Uh, you have some concerts with the Grasshills coming up um, that you wanted to mention on here. Yeah. Uh, well, I just always want to tell people where we're going to be in case they're nearby. This weekend, we're in uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Uh, next weekend, see, that's that's my issue. That's all I know. Uh, but they can go to Grasskills.com. <laughs> it's on the website. <laughs> Grasskills.com. There you go. And, uh, and find it out. And then uh, Wayne and I have a special show coming up on, is December 15th a Thursday? <laughs> Somebody, 
Uh, give me one second. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I have a team right now that can help me with this, but he and I never play. Uh, it's a Friday. It's a Friday, so it must be the. It must yeah. be the fourteenth the then. Uh, Either One December 14th or 15th, <laughs> Wayne and I are playing this really special show together, which never happens live in Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is our hometown. And we're going to have Tim Surt from Balsam Range and uh, Sean Lane from Blue Highway and Darren Aldridge from Brooke and Darren Aldridge. Yeah. So it's going to be a really all-star type band. And it will be a one of a kind because we've never played together before. Wow. And uh, we'll, you know, meet up around four o'clock, do a sound check, figure out what we're going to do and then go do it. So it'll be a really fun, interesting show. Uh, and people can go to um, Bluegrass Spartanburg, Bluegrass Spartanburg, and uh, find out uh, the details on that. And then a couple of other things for this um uh, for this listening audience that may really be appealing on November 7th, I'm doing a Banjo Ben live seminar, uh, mm -hmm. Banjo Ben live November 7th. That's a Tuesday. And then on December 10th, this will be our third time around. Uh, every year, Ron Block and Bill Evans and I have done a workshop together and uh, that's happening again on Sunday, December 10th. And they can contact uh, Bill Evans to find out more details about that. Uh, also have a book. I know I've been mentioning it for a while, but it's actually turned in now uh, with the Hal Leonard Company called 25 Great Bluegrass Banjo Solos. Oh, wow. And uh, that's going to come out. It's a good long write-up on each player and then tab and a recording and a little excerpt on how to play the solo. And the recording is recorded slow. So there's an instructional element to it for sure and just a nice, I know we can learn about artists, but sometimes I think there's just still value in being able to hold something and have yeah. a really nice bio and pick their brain type mm -hmm. interview and there's 25 of them and they're right here. You know, right. let's, let's still value just a collection of information sometimes in that format, I think can be helpful. So look for that as well. That is coming out. It's not published yet. It's not published yet. It'll be a Hal Leonard publication okay. oh, cool. and uh, they can find out on my website and, and figure out uh, when the release date will be hopefully in 24. We'll have okay. it. We're we're right, we're we'll a Hal Leonard dealer, so we'll we'll make sure. Nice, we, uh, yeah. Try to get it on our, on yeah. our site. Yeah, yeah. I also wrote another book for them called "Your First Fifteen Banjo Lessons," and that one's been out a while, but it has video and uh, a book, and it's super affordable. I mean, you can get it on, well, maybe from you guys, but Amazon I know sells it. So that's a good first step if people are just getting started. Your first fifteen banjo lessons. Awesome. And you mentioned the, the concert with you and Wayne. Um, you both put out a, uh, a recording this past year, Pick Your Poison. Yeah, that's a first for us. We recorded it during COVID. So, and you know, music is released differently these days. Like I uh, used to, an album came out and you slowly eventually heard all the music. Now they do it different. Like the, the music comes up first as singles. And then at near the end of the cycle, the actual album comes out. So we recorded that during COVID, uh, but it just came out this year and uh, it's, it's done so well for us. I mean, we were just incredibly humbled because we had never done anything together before. And, uh, and we just have been tickled to death that, um, you know, it's gotten a little bit of attention and people seem to like it. So that's uh, 
that's why this show coming up is just going to be uh, another rarity for us with him being in the band Russell Moore and Third Time Out and me playing with the Grascals. And, uh, you know, we just don't want to do a lot of uh, things when we're off that would you know, and also the band schedules keep us obligated. Right. So it's hard to commit. This particular date was just, uh, it was okay to commit to it. There was no way either band had anything going on. And they asked and we were like, yeah, we can actually do that. Luckily, we have a lot of friends who are just amazing musicians. So we can bring them in and just kind of figure it out as we go that night. Awesome. That's really sounds like cool. a great show. Yeah. Yeah. For those, uh, I can throw this up. I think it's the part of the Spartanburg Philharmonic, right? It is. is the one? the this, Umbrella this Foundation is Spartanburg yeah. Philharmonic. Yeah. Oh, thank you. There we go. I As need to visit that website. Sure. It's a wonderful <laughs> picture of Wayne and yourself. Uh, pricing, uh, timing, address, everything you could possibly okay. need to get information. Um, so if you're in the area, go, go see uh, Kristen and Wayne and yeah. friends. There you go. There we go. There we go. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. yeah you guys are so good. Thanks. And it's been a real pleasure. But um, thank you for your insights. Fisher, thank you for everything you uh, oh, no. contributed to the show. <laughs> He's my therapy dog. And, uh, <laughs> he just needs to be on stage with me. And, and I just quit playing if I get nervous and rub him for a little while. And then, and then re, re-engage at that point. But uh Seriously, I, I can't thank you guys enough for this banjo. I, I truly do love it, and it it just operates perfectly in the environment that I that I'm in. And I I can't believe that I love a brand new banjo the way I love this one. So I'm just tickled to death. Awesome, that's so that, great. That makes us happy. We're we're doing we're doing the right things, so and we're we're mm-hmm. very very happy to hear that. That is, if we don't get that bit right, then we don't really have a company, right? We should be getting the banjo making thing pretty good at this point in time. <laughs> there you go. There we go. But thank you for, like I said at the beginning, uh, for everything that you do. Um, congratulations again uh, for your IBMA Banjo Player of the Year Award 2023. Yeah. Um, and we're going to have an award winner hopefully play us a little ditty to get out of here. Yeah, and, uh, sure. You know, I'm right? thinking maybe since we did back up, um, I'm certainly not going to try to sing and play the banjo at the same time because oh. Earl didn't do that either. But maybe I should like kick off just a normal tune and then play a couple rounds of backup. Maybe yeah. that would make sense since yeah. we've talked about it today. Right. Thank about, you, everybody, uh, for tuning in. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Cabin and Caroline, maybe? Okay. How's that?